What should you do when you lose your sense of awe? This week, Paul Tripp explains how maintaining our awe in God changes everything in our lives. It's all on episode 37 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 37 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by the new Outreach.com, where ordering customized resources for your ministry just got a lot easier. Try it today and get 250 free invite cards. It's easy. Just go to Outreach.com forward slash CL250, choose your invite card design, customize it, and you'll receive your free cards right away. Today we're talking to Dr. Paul Tripp. He is best-selling author and president of Paul Tripp Ministries and also the executive director of the Center for Pastoral Life and Care. He's taught at many respected institutions worldwide and written many excellent books, including Dangerous Calling and What Did You Expect? And now, here's our conversation with Dr. Paul Tripp. Well, Dr. Paul Tripp, thank you so much for taking time to be with us on the Church Leaders Podcast. Uh, It's great to be with you. Uh, Dr. Tripp, you spend a lot of time teaching and counseling pastors and ministry leaders. Uh, What do you enjoy most about your calling to, to teach and equip the church? I think I have one driving passion, and it is to connect uh, the transforming message of the gospel, the personal work of Jesus Christ, to everyday life. I, I think what what's happened in the church is we we tend to have a good understanding of salvation past the forgiveness that we've received. We have a good understanding of salvation future the eternity that we will have with Christ, but we're muddy about the present benefits of the work of Christ in the here and now. How does the message of the gospel of grace alter everything I think about myself, everything I think about my relationships, every dimension, duty, area of my life? That's really been my passion. I jokingly say that my my writing ministry is the biggest scam in Christianity that I've only written, really written one book. I just retitle it every year because the only thing I write about is the gospel. And I just turn and look at life through the lens of a gospel in a different direction. And I do that again and again and again. And it does seem like that there are a lot of Christians who feel like there's a disconnect between what I hear, the gospel I know in my head and, and, and then my life, life happens and challenges come up and difficulties happen. Why do you think it's so hard sometimes for us to, so many people know the gospel, they can articulate the gospel, they could get it right on an exam, but then when they go into life, it's hard to live out uh, that gospel? Well, I think we tend to think of the gospel as an entrance and an exit and not as a lifestyle. And so I don't think of the gospel, for example, as a lens through which I look at everything in my life and how does the gospel reinterpret family, reinterpret marriage, reinterpret the workplace, uh, reinterpret those internal struggles that we have uh, in our lives. And, And I think that just needs to be, that connection needs to be made in preaching and teaching and discipleship in small groups. I just don't think you can make that connection enough. Mm-hmm. And you've written a new book titled All, Why It Matters for Everything We Think, Say, and Do. 
Uh, what was your primary goal in writing this book? Well, I just think it's a a discussion that Scripture has that hasn't filtered with the kind of importance that I think it should have into our everyday understanding of why we do the things we do, why we say the things we say, how God has designed us to operate. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, like you look in the world and I do think that a lot of Christians have lost their sense of awe and wonder. Like we, we look around and, and there seems like there's a lot of um, depression, discouragement. What is that disconnect there? Why is it that you could have two people that look at the, the same part of our world and, you know, see it very differently? Well, you have, to, you have to carry three things with you. The first thing is you have to understand that by God's design, you are hardwired for all. Uh, God intentionally created you for the capacity for all. There are other creations that God has made that do not have the capacity for all. Human beings are distinct because they have not only the capacity for all, but the desire for wonder. We, we, we love wondrous things. That's why we like the uh, seven-layer moose cake or the triple overtime NBA game or the great piece of music or the gorgeous painting uh, were wired for all. Second thing is that God has placed us in an awe-inspiring world. This world is awesome. I mean, from the uh, endlessly exhaustible wings of a hummingbird to the beauty of a sunset to a strong and powerful storm, uh, the world is an awesome place. The third thing is that the world was created to be awesome so that it would point us to the God who stands behind the creation, who is to be the location where the awe capacity of our heart finally rests. Every awe-inspiring thing in the created world is meant to be a finger that points us to the awe of God. And so what happens to us is that we stop at point two. We stop at created awe. Uh, and we, we hope that something in creation will satisfy the cravings of our heart. Uh, maybe a new job, maybe a bigger house, maybe a new relationship, maybe a new possession, maybe a new physical accomplishment, maybe a new location. And none of those things will ever satisfy this wonder craving of our heart because those things were just meant to be a finger that points us to the God who alone can satisfy our heart. If I could say one other thing, it's sort of like the family that's heading toward Disney World. The father has shown his kids the, the incredible Disney World website, told them about the wonders of Disney World. And they drive down toward Orlando and they get to a sign that's about 120 miles out that says Disney World, 120 miles, and dad stops and says we're going to have our vacation there. Everybody would think he was crazy. And that, that sign has no capacity to deliver what Disney World can deliver because the sign is not the thing. The sign is there to point to the thing that can satisfy your expectations. Mm. And so... And I see, I love that. And I think a lot of people probably feel like it's the opposite. They feel like 
I, you know, I can feel awe and wonder when I, you know, see a sunset or have a great meal, like that they, it's tangible. They can feel that, that sense of awe and wonder. But then when they try to move that to God, a lot of times I think people feel like I don't feel that way about the invisible God. And so how do, how do they make that leap? Well, I think because one of the sad things that if you're a parent, you'll, you'll experience in your children and maybe an experience with children, you begin to realize it operates in your own life as well, is that your children have the perverse capacity to look at creation and not see God. I mean, it really takes educating and training your heart. I mean, how could you boil an egg and not think of the glory of God? How could you see a sunset and not think of the glory of God? All of those experiences really do depict the majesty, the love, the faithfulness, the wisdom, the power of God. But you, you have to train your eyes to see. And I think that, that we, we live in uh, what I would call visual slash spiritual lethargy. It's sort of like, you know, how the first time you drive, say you've moved – with your family and the first time you drive to work, you drive down a beautifully wooded road and you're just enthralled with the beauty of the big trees. Uh, You're very happy that you can drive down that road and you're taking in the beauty. Six weeks later, you're driving on the same road, you're pounding on your dash because the traffic is so slow and you haven't seen a tree in three weeks. That's what happens to us. And so maybe it begins to by humbly recognizing your blindness and praying that God would open your eyes, not to the physical glory, but to the divine glory that is the reason that the physical glory exists. I like that. And I think that that's the the thing that, um, the idea of training, I think a lot of times we think, oh, this should just, if, if, if Christianity is, is true or the gospel is true, then this should just be natural. But, but talk about that, like how, how we continue to train ourselves and, and even like uh, the ways that the world kind of keeps us from continuing to make progress in that. Well, I, I think there's a couple things to be said. Now, first, I would just make a cultural comment. We live in a world of endless, inescapable almost distractions. Do I really need a TV screen over the gas pump? at the station? Do I really need a monitor in an elevator to keep me distracted? And so we're, we're just being uh, assaulted by very powerful, attractive, distracting images. Now, I want to suggest something that can get you started in the right direction. I want to suggest to your listeners four things that they should do every morning. The first thing is gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Start your day gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. I don't mean your normal Bible reading or Bible study that you're doing, but take a few moments to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You say, I don't know how to do that. Well, how about reading Isaiah 40, where the uh, prophet is stretching the language to its widest elasticity in order to capture the glory of God? Or how about 
the last few chapters of Job where God has that, where were you when the foundations of the creation were laid, discussion with Job. Or how about Ephesians 1 where, where God just displays his redeeming purpose over the ages. Go somewhere and just focus on the beauty, the glory of the Lord. Second word, first word is gay, second word is remember. Remember that God's beauty, his glory, his awesome glory, not only defines him, but it redefines you as his child. Because all that God is, he is for us by grace. He's unleashed that glory on us. Gaze, remember, third is rest. Teach your heart to rest, not because people like you, not because situations are easy, not because the bills are paid, not because you're healthy, but because God is, he's awesome in his glory, and he's connected you to his glory by grace. Gaze, remember, rest. Now go out and act. Now go out and live your day with hope and courage because you're doing it in the context of the awesome glory of God. And you have reason to be confident, even though you live in a broken world. I love that. Gaze, remember, rest, and act. And as you've done that, that um, and, the, and as Christians commit to do that in the mornings and, and really intentionally kind of walk through those steps, what are the fruits that, that, that flows out into their lives? Well, you can, you, know, you can really sense what has captured a person's awe by their emotional life. If my awe is in how much I has been captured by how much I accomplish in a day, then anybody, anything that gets in my way at any moment will create impatience, frustration, anger in me. So I would say to people, pay attention to your emotional life. And what does that point you to in terms of understanding what has captured your all? But my experience is that I need reorientation every day because I do face that distraction my awe does get captured by the creation. I need to reorient myself every day. And the fruit of that is greater contentment, greater rest, more patience, uh, all those character qualities that are only ever the fruit of all of God ruling my heart. Mm-hmm. One of the problems you tackle in in your book is the, the problem of complaining. And, uh, and to quote you, you wrote, if you believe that God is the creator and controller of all that is, that it is impossible to complain about your circumstances without complaining about God. Complaint is alllessness verbalized. You know, that was one of those sections that I highlighted and was like, wow, that is so powerful. And I think that illustrates how having a deeper awe of God um, transforms the way that we live in the day to day. Yeah, you know, if, for example, uh, you, you have that moment in Deuteronomy where, where Israel is getting ready to go across into the, the promised land and they're ready to pack it in. They're grumbling, they're complaining, and they're looking at a place that's already filled with people. They're very powerful people. And my argument would be there that they don't first have 
a complaining problem. They don't first have a grumbling problem. They don't even first have a fear problem. They have an awe problem. It's a lack of awe of God, a lack of belief that no matter what I face, the God who has invaded my life by grace is greater. That allows me to face those things without fear, allows me to live a life without constant complaining. Now, I want to make a confession here. I wish I could say that I'm totally free of both of those, but I'm not. That's why I need to reorient myself again and again every day. Mm-hmm. And then as things come up in your life, um, walk us through how you and like kind of your thought process, like say you're driving somewhere in the morning and, and you've had this time where you have reoriented yourself and then you have a flat tire or you get an offender bender or something. In those moments, how walk us through how you will then kind of keep yourself in this same frame. Well, it's hard. You know, I, one of the things I say to people a lot, and when I say it, they often smile, but I'm really quite serious. No one's more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. We are in a constant conversation with ourselves, and the things we say to us, about us, about life, about God, about other people, are profoundly important. They're formative of our desires and our, our actions. Everybody is a theologian. Everybody is a philosopher. Everybody is an archaeologist who will dig through the mound of their existence in order to make sense out of life. That's just who we are. So one of the things you need to do is you need to become more aware of that private conversation. What are the things that you say to you? And how much of those recognize, those things that you say to yourself, recognize God's presence, recognize his grace, recognize his awesome glory and power? Or do you talk to yourself like an awe amnesiac? You see, let's take a moment of suffering. It's very true that when you're suffering, you never just suffer the thing that you're suffering. You also always suffer the way that you're suffering the thing that you're suffering. So in, in a moment of suffering, the things that you say to you will either make that suffering uh, a more doable experience for you because you connect yourself to things that give you hope and courage and rest, even in suffering, or you say things to yourself that make your suffering even worse. That's good. Let's talk specifically about pastoral discouragement. A lot of people in our audience are pastors and ministry leaders, and it does seem like we hear from a lot of them where they feel weighed down by by all the different things that they're carrying and in, in all the ministry that they're doing. When, when somebody comes to you and says, you know, I'm just at my, you know, the end of my rope, I'm, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm discouraged, what, how do you start to use these things that we're talking about to, to minister to their heart? Well, there, there are two things that I'm, I, I will initially begin to wonder. First, is this a person who's lost their all? Somewhere in the process of ministry, they've lost their all and they're just cranking it out, cranking it out is burdensome. The second thing I'm I'm wondering is, are they trying 
to get their identity, meaning and purpose, inner sense of well-being out of ministry. And you got to say this. Ministry is a miserable place to look for identity. Public ministry is just not a good place to look for your inner sense of rest and peace. And so I often think that what's happening is the combination between uh, losing my vertical awe of, of God and my now looking horizontally for what I will only ever find vertically makes ministry burdensome and hurtful and painful and a grind that at some point I just want to get out of. You see, that's not first an overscheduled problem. That's not first an unthankful congregation problem. That's an awe problem first that makes those things even more difficult to deal with. And another area that I think um, these principles apply, I, I think that we can apply them so well is, is in marriage. I know you've done a lot to help couples preparing for marriage. You do marriage seminars. Talk about how awe changes the dynamics in a marriage and in a family. Well, I have to understand that my spouse, the person that I married, was never intended by God to be my inner source of well-being. My spouse isn't my Messiah. The Messiah is my Messiah. And when I look to my husband or wife for that inner sense of rest, for my meaning and purpose, I'm asking them to deliver what no human being can ever deliver. Now, let me give you an example. You never get your capacity to love from the person that you've been called to love. And when I, when I look to my husband or wife for my capacity to love, I'll always come up empty. I mean, I think part of what gets people discouraged and paralyzed in marriage is they're looking to one another for things that their spouse was never intended to deliver. They're things that God has promised to be for us and to give to us. And so if I look there in my marriage, I will be entitled, I will be demanding, I will be complaining, I will feel like you don't love me like you should, and that beating one another up with expectations we can't deliver at some point will make us both feel this is too hurtful, too painful, we don't want to do this anymore. You see, that's not uh, first a relational problem, that's an all problem that, that has created a relational problem. Mm -hmm. and, and talk about one of the, th the things I loved in the book that you, you really went after busyness um, and how we're so busy these days and, and families can get really busy. Talk about how busyness really can, can threaten um, living in a state of awe of God. We live in modern culture, frenetically busy, constantly distracted lives. And that way of living keeps us from reflection. It keeps us from motivation. It causes us to run by glorious things without stopping and smelling the roses. 
we drive by glory that's meant to point us to God's glory and we never notice because we're so busy trying to accomplish the next thing because achieving and acquiring are the two gold coins of modern culture. Achieving and acquiring will never satisfy your heart. Achieving and acquiring will never make you a more patient, loving, kind, restful, giving, serving person. Achieving and acquiring are false gods that will never deliver. They just won't. Now, is it wrong to want to achieve? No, it's not. Is it wrong to want to acquire beautiful things? No, it's not. But if they rule your heart, they'll do damage to your lives. And I think it's important for all of us to constantly ask the question, what set of values determines my daily schedule or the schedule of my family? And maybe we've lost our awe because we're so busy that we don't have time to notice and reflect upon the awesome things that God has planted in our lives so that we would remember him. Mm, that's really good. Early in the show, you mentioned a couple places in scripture that are great places to go and meditate. Isaiah 40, the end of the book of Job, uh, those chapters. Are there other places in scripture that you would kind of encourage our, our listeners to go um, when they're in this fight for all? Yeah, I think there are uh, many psalms that that just put before you various aspects of the glory of God, his power. Was it Psalm, I want to say 118, 118 or 136, that has that refrain, the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. The loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. The loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. That psalm is meant to pound that in my brain. So that day, what rings in my, my, my mind and in my heart is the loving kindness of God endures forever. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or, or Romans 8, that at the end, that declares that there's nothing in all creation that has the power to separate us from the love of God. Now, my experience is when I just quote those passages to you, my heart lifts a bit because I remember again the awesome love that has been lavished on me by grace. Well, Dr. Paul Tripp, thank you so much for uh, your time today and such such a great reminder of how we can fight to have a deeper sense of awe in God and uh, so many ways that we can apply these things. Thanks so much for, uh, I love that gaze, remember, rest, and act. So thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, I'm just persuaded our hearts will only rest when they rest in the awe of God. Thanks again to Paul Tripp for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you were blessed by this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes, and consider sending this episode to someone you know who might be blessed by its message. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. The show notes always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.